Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio from lead pastor Brad Evangelista. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and the mountains be cast into the heart of the sea. Praise God for this day, for January 3rd, for 2021. Praise God for 2020. Praise God for everything that happened. I believe what the Bible says, that he ordains whatsoever comes to pass for the good of his people and for the display of his glory. So let's lift up our, our heads and our hands and let's lean forward into God's word in this upcoming year. Here's my plan. Uh, we've got a bunch of passages we're gonna read. It's generally our custom to work through a particular book and just passes through passage in a book. We're gonna be starting a new one here probably in a couple weeks. We just finished Second Peter. This Sunday, though, is a little bit different and unusual for us. If you're visiting for the first time, this is a kind of an unusual message. Today will be a little bit different. We usually preach expositionally through a book or passage of the Bible. But on this first Sunday of 2021, I think it's fitting for us to think about not so much a particular passage of the book of, in the book of a Bible, but about the Bible itself and its role in the life of a follower of Jesus, its role in the life of this church, and its role in your life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my purpose right up front. Here's my purpose on the screen for those of you that want to see it. My aim today is to encourage, exhort, and plead with you to give yourself to developing or deepening the discipline of taking in God's word regularly in this upcoming year. Let me read that again. My, my goal, my purpose, my aim is to encourage, exhort, and plead with you to give yourself to developing and deepening the discipline of taking in God's word regularly in this upcoming year. Now, while this message, this sermon is not necessarily our customary way of preaching on a Sunday, I do want to begin by priming the pump and warming our hearts and framing the issue, so to speak, by reading a, a large selection of passages that are, I think, absolutely essential. They speak to, they describe the essential and primary role of God's Word in the life of a believer. But before I pray, before I read those scriptures, and before I give you some thoughts about living by God's Word in 2021, let me pray and ask the Lord to help us. Pray with me. Lord, we, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for everything that has passed and everything that's going on now and everything that will happen. We know that everything resounds, everything, everything falls together, everything is in some way ordained and ordered by your providence, by your good and gracious hand. Everything has its purpose, even the wicked for the day of destruction, Proverbs 16, 4. And Lord, you are in fact... Even though we do not understand, 
And thank God our understanding is not the thing by which all things are measured, but what is is the thing by which all things is measured is your glory and sovereignty. And we thank you that you are in complete control. Nothing has surprised you in the history of humanity. Nothing that's going on now, no scheme of the enemy. Nothing that we will face tomorrow or in the months and years to come will sneak up on you at all. But by your kind and sovereign grace, you plan all things to fall out according to your wise counsel. We rest in that, Lord. We pray for our country. We pray for the political process. We pray for the elections in our state this Tuesday that will determine and will be very influential in the life of our nation. We pray for righteousness to reign. We pray for wisdom for your people. Lord, we do not wring our hands. We know that you're in control. We know that you hold the kings and the governors and the senators and the congressmen's hearts in your hand like a water course and you turn it wherever you will. Lord, we pray now as we turn our attention to your word, to this idea, to this, to this principle of living by your word that you would stir our affections. Lord, there's nothing more shameful than an than a uninterested Christian in your word. There's nothing, Lord, that, that we should want to run from more than, than to be people who neglect your holy word. Lord, stir our hearts this morning. Stir me, encourage us, inspire us, convict us. Move us closer to Christ-likeness as a result of our time together. And as we come around your table, Lord, feed us with the manna from heaven. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to God's word. Some selected passages. Blessed is the man, Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does. He prospers. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Psalm 119 verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This word is so instrumental in our salvation. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And this is the conclusion of Paul's argument about how salvation comes from the Lord and we need Him to give us the gift of sovereign grace. We need faith to believe 
And this is Paul's conclusion about the role of the word in giving that gift. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. This word isn't just instrumental in our salvation. It is instrumental in our sanctification or our growth after we are saved. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Listen to this. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. From childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And this word that is instrumental in our salvation and our sanctification also arms us for the spiritual war that is life. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 Starting in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Even Jesus, finally. Last passage we'll read here before we get into living by God's word. Even Jesus fought this spiritual war with the word of God. Matthew chapter 4 describing Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, meaning Jesus, verse 4, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. My purpose today, I repeat, 
is to encourage, exhort, and plead with you, with us, with me, to give ourselves to developing or deepening the discipline of taking in God's word regularly, that we would be individuals, that we would be homes, that we would be churches that live by the daily manna of God's word. Eight reasons to regularly take in God's word. Now there's obviously some overlap between these eight reasons, but here are eight reasons for us at the beginning of this new year to regularly take in, to read, to listen to, to put ourselves under the authority of God's word. One, to know God better. Friends, this is the goal of the Christian life, or it should be. This is what we are created for to know God, to enjoy God, to worship Him forever, as the great Westminster Catechism says. We were created to glorify God, to know Him. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. This is his conclusion of all that has happened in his life and why he even exists. This is what he says, verse 8, Philippians 3. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that... I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So Paul is concluding that really everything that's happened to him, he's saying serves this purpose that he would know God, that he would know Christ and who he is and the power of his resurrection, the glory of the gospel. John Calvin, this great figure in the history of the church. He, you he may hear his name mentioned and you may not be very familiar with him. He lived back in the 1500s. One of the great thinkers in the history of the church. One of the great theologians of the Protestant Reformation. He was a Frenchman and he systematized in many ways the great doctrines of the Bible in a classic work called the Institutes of Christian Religion. And in this great summary of Christian doctrine that John Calvin wrote over 500 years ago, he starts it off with his first wisdom, with his first, with his first sentence by saying, our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid, consists almost entirely of just two things, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And the only way that a Christian can know God and ourselves rightly and better is through the word of God. So we come, if you're a Christian, this should be the desire of your heart. Now that desire may ebb and flow with varying degrees of strength. But if you are a believer, God has given you a new heart with new desires and that new heart should beat with a desire to know God better. And the way that we know God better, the primary way that we know God better is through God's word that he has given us. Second reason to take in God's word is to grow in spiritual maturity and fruitfulness. 
Listen again to Psalm 1, verse 3 that I read earlier. He, speaking of the person who's delighting in God's law or delighting in God's word, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He's like a tree who's anchored, whose roots grow deep. That's what the word does. It makes us stable. It solidifies us in a world that is always raging some sort of storm this is the apostle paul's conclusion as well in ephesians 4 listen to this description of a word-centered life in the local church ephesians 4 verse 11 through 16 this is a beautiful paragraph that i pray would describe the life of this local church Verse 11, Ephesians 4, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Which, how's that come? Obviously through the Word. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Implication there meaning false doctrine. By human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. What's the truth? It's the word of God. Speaking the word of God in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we regularly take in God's word, we grow in maturity and fruitfulness. Ligonier, a ministry out of Orlando, Florida that was started by the late R.C. Sproul, a wonderful teacher in the history of the church and in the past 40 or 50 years, he recently passed away. He started a ministry called Ligonier. It's a resourcing ministry for the church, teaching ministry. And every year they do a state of theology, a kind of survey of what they say the state of theology is amongst American evangelicals. And that word evangelical is a broad term to describe basically, and again this is very broad, very loose term, to describe people that would consider themselves Christians who would believe the word of God to be God's word from him and that they would believe that a person needs to be born again in order to uh, make it to heaven. Now, uh, that, that you would think would be uh, just kind of the very minimum of what it means to be a Christian. But Ligonier gives this sort of state of theology, this survey that they do amongst, I guess, hundreds or thousands of people. And quite frankly, every year the, the, the answers, the results of this survey are shocking. Wide percentages of people in the American church that would call themselves Christians, that would consider themselves to maybe even be faithful biblical Christians, don't believe just clear, simple, primary, essential doctrines like that Jesus is truly God or that the Bible is truly inspired and without error. And one of the reasons why is because across many parts of the church culture in America, people don't read their Bibles. And one of the things that we are called to do, one of the opportunities for us is to grow in maturity and fruitfulness so that we are not some shocking statistic in a theological survey. 
Friends, there are no shortcuts to this. I know that some of you are thinking, well, there's so much I don't know. I'm a new Christian, or I've spent many years squandering, and now what do I do? I've, I've been a Christian now for all these years, and I still need to learn so much. Well, guess what? So do I. There are no shortcuts. We have this opportunity to grow, to take in God's Word. And of course, just not reading the Word is all that we need. It needs to be supplemented by being part of a church that is a Word-centered church that faithfully preaches the Bible. And you are in one. Now, I am not saying that we're perfect. There's some things that I, will, I may be wrong on. There may be some secondary doctrines that I don't have quite right, but I will tell you this, and I do not tell you this out of arrogance. I tell you this out of all humility, and I tell you this because I know God's word. This church is right on the fundamentals. We know who Christ is. We know what the gospel is. We understand the Christian life. We know the word, and you will hear the word. And you need more than just personal Bible reading if you're listening to this online and maybe you're going to some church that doesn't preach the word or they just tell tell silly stories or they entertain you on a Sunday. You need to read the word, yes, but you need to be in a culture, in a pot of soil, a local church that has the nutrients of a word-centered culture. And when we are in those type of cultures, when an individual Christian gives themselves to the slow, often monotonous discipline of taking in God's word with other people who are doing it together as a church who opens up the Bible faithfully and preaches it every Sunday and studies it in their small groups and studies it in their Bible studies, you will mature if you're a Christian. You will third reason why we should take in God's word, and again, this is related obviously to, to, is to grow in discernment. I think growing in spiritual discernment is the need for discernment is one of the great needs in the church in America. In fact, discernment may be the Achilles heel of the American church. We, there's so many things about America that make us a a wonderful culture of of, uh, an industrious nation uh, there's so much about the American spirit that I think all of us love and respect and are thankful for. It's obviously, it's God's grace, whether or not America as a nation acknowledges it or not. There's an ingenuity. There's a creativity. There's a kind of hard work ethic. All those things are wonderful things. There's no doubt about that. And again, whether or not American culture or each individual American that might exhibit those traits acknowledges those things, all those things are common graces from God. But on the flip side of that, sometimes your greatest strength can be also weaknesses, is that I think we are vulnerable. We are vulnerable to a kind of creativity and sort of worship of of pragmatism and a kind of worship of success, a worship of bigger is better. And so we're vulnerable, and I think at times as Christians in American culture, our discernment radar can be very, very low and very, very weak. And just whatever seems to be working or whatever seems to be attractive or popular, we attach a kind of spiritual authority to in church culture. And that is a terrible way to do discernment. We're vulnerable to pretty packaging and sleek websites. We're vulnerable to good-looking people on stages that look good in clothes and sing well and speak well. That is not 
those things are fine. I don't have anything against good-looking people that can talk. I, I mean, I'm not, but I'm just saying, that's not what makes a person profitable. That's not what makes a church godly. That's not what makes a church based on God's word. It's not what makes a church God-honoring. And the problem is, is because the American church and because we are so influential in the world, we are so influential in the world as an American culture, the problem is, is that we export our theological garbage to the world. And much of it is because American Christians are so undiscerning that we create the force and the economic engine that props up all of these false ministries, which exports them through TV and the internet to the world around us that is starving on the garbage that we feed them theologically. So we need to grow. How do you grow in discernment? By taking in God's word, by being in a Bible-preaching church, by not being seduced by flashiness. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 5, verse 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. Listen to this, but solid food, and I think the implication he's talking about here is, is the word of God. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So as you, as you expose yourself to God's word, you, you, get, you get trained by it. You, you immerse yourself in the logic and the thinking and the God-centeredness of the Bible. And as you do more than just read one verse from a devotional, but you give yourself to reading the Bible, it, it trains you, it, it gives you instincts, it widens your perspective and your view, it opens you up to the God-centeredness of the Bible. And it, and it weans you off of using the Bible like a little treasure chest, as a little nook and a cranny to help you with some minute little thing in your life. It, it expands your world, it exalts God, and it lowers you, it humbles you. And when it does that, it actually makes you a healthier, more stable, discerning, and fruitful Christian. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 12. He says, Verses 1 or 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then this is how he, he puts sort of specifics to what does that mean? Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Now, there is a world that is trying to conform us into its image. We do not live in a neutral world. We, we read in Ephesians 6 about, about these principalities and powers, these, these spiritual forces of wickedness that are against us. And verse 2 here of Romans 12 is saying, don't be conformed to this world. How can we not be conformed but be transformed by the renewal of your mind? Now, how is that going to happen? Clearly, it doesn't just happen through you thinking good thoughts, but by taking in God's thoughts. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we need to grow in discernment. We need to understand the days. We need to be able to see the world in ourselves rightly. 
And the only way, the only way that can happen is not by reading the newspaper or being addicted to cable news, although those things may be good to take in, to be aware. But the only way that will happen is if we take in God's Word and sit under God's Word rightly taught. Fourth reason why we should take in God's Word regularly is to strengthen us in our fight against sin. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 10, 9 through 11. This is such an important verse. I can remember this is one of the first verses I memorized as a freshman at West Point, battling sin, a new Christian, struggling with the flesh. This is an important verse. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now friends, this is no guarantee that if we just read the Bible that magically we will be free from sin. Of course we know that. It's not the case. But there is no successful victory over sin apart from a life that is regularly devoted to God's word. We must take up the sword of the Spirit as Ephesians 6 says that we read in verse 17. And that sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, we use on ourself and on the residual of the old man or woman that still rears its ugly head in our lives. We take the sword of the Spirit and we use it to, in a Romans 8 sort of way, mortify or kill the flesh. And there is no killing of the flesh. There is no fighting of sin in any sort of way that makes progress apart from a life that takes in God's word. It will not happen. That's why Jesus says, in fact, Jesus models this for us. How does Jesus fight temptation? By saying that he was, he's the son of God? By saying that I'm, I'm the man? By saying I'm arrived? No, what does Jesus say to the devil in his temptation? No, I'm going to fight you with the word of God, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So if Jesus in his carnation in his incarnation, used and needed the word of God to fight temptation, how much more so you and me? Fifth reason to take in God's word regularly in 2021, to equip us to disciple our families. Now, I thank God for the life of this church. I thank God for our youth ministry. I thank God for... Tyler Kirkpatrick, who was praying earlier and leading our service. He is a very gifted teacher, um, a very wise. I mean, let me just pause here. And I'm not, this is just, we have a pastoral staff that is so excellent. Uh, and, and in particular, Tyler, he's in charge. His primary responsibility is to disciple, to lead our youth student ministries. And Tyler is a better preacher and teacher and more theologically savvy than a vast majority of lead pastors in this town and really 
anywhere you go. And I'm not saying that out of pride. I'm, not, I'm just saying we, we just have a great resource here. But listen to me. It's not his primary or the youth leader's primary role to shepherd our children. It's ours as parents. And we live in a world where church on Sunday and youth group on Sunday night, listen to me, are not enough to resist the constant barrage of wickedness and ungodliness that our children face on a daily basis. They are taking in sewage. You can even try and close off every portal from your child into the culture, but the moment they walk out of your door into any environment with friends or school or whatever, they are wading through a sewage line. A world that is telling them Basic, just things like what it means to be a boy or a girl are confusing, just clear, obvious things that you don't really even need the Word of God to define. You just need eyes to be able to see the differences in anatomy between a boy and a girl. And the world is actually being successful in convincing Children are growing up in Christian churches that, no, 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 what you see is not reality. Actually, this is that. It's calling good evil and evil good. It is wickedness. And I don't say this because I am wanting to us to bunker ourselves against the world or if there's somebody in here that is struggling with some sort of identity issue or some sort of a sexuality issue. I am not saying that in any condemning way, but I do want to inspire us as families to not shrink back and not be scared. Just the clear, compassionate truth of God's word that the world is trying to disciple our children and we have this great responsibility to just teach them. To read the Bible with them, to encourage them to read the Bible, to insist that they're here, to make them part of the life of the church. Men, this is your primary responsibility. Let me speak. I want to speak compassionately because I think men sometimes get beat up in church culture and I don't don't want to beat you up. Um, Here's what I want to do. I want to affirm the hardworking guy in here that, that um, gets up early, works a job, he gets home and he's tired, um, he's anxious about, you know, paying the bills, um, he is dealing with maybe less than ideal circumstances that he grew up, he probably didn't have a lot of spiritual mentors in his life, so he doesn't have a lot of confidence, but he's plugging away, he's doing his best to get his family to church. And brother, I do not want you to feel a certain a kind of like religious shame. Don't, don't let me heap any religious shame on you. Don't be thinking, oh, God, thanks, Brad. I mean, I know this is true, but you're making me feel like terrible. I, need, I know I need to read. I don't want you to walk out of here with your tail between your legs thinking, I'm a terrible spiritual leader and I need to read my Bible more. But, uh, that, that, you know, that might motivate you a week, but that will not get you through life. I want to say to that blue-collar guy that's keeping his head above water. 
who's trying his best, who, who doesn't feel very confident in who he is spiritually, I want to say to you, brother, there is, there is spiritual grit and maturity and gold in you just being a man who shows up. You being a guy who, you, you, you may not be the most confident dude spiritually, but you're a good man. You're a man that's available. You're a man that's there. You're a man that loves your family. You're a man that's waking up every day and earning a paycheck. That is spiritual leadership. It is. You're paying the bills. You got a job. You're working hard. You're coming home tired. You fall asleep quick. You get up early. That is spiritual maturity. There's gold in that. There's honor in that. You have strength. You can do this. You do not need to be a theologian. You don't need to be that smart. You, you have what it takes. You don't need to be the voice piece, but you can, dear brother, you can be the energy to say to my family, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what does that look like? It doesn't mean that you got to have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you got to have little doodles in the margins of your Bible. It doesn't mean that you got to burn the candles and have. It just means that you, you, brother, and you got this. You are the energy to say, we're going to be a church that's planted. We're going to be a family that's planted in the church. And we're going to be a family that prays together. And we're going to be a family that, as much as we can, takes in God's word. And I may not be the best reader, but honey, can you read? And if you're the energy to say, let's read. Read. Who cares who reads? You're the energy that says, let's come to God's word. That, dear brother, is strong and mighty and courageous, and that is leadership. You can do it. You can do it. And when a man, a simple, ordinary guy, when a guy decides to do that, the gates of hell will not prevail against a man like that. We need to be men that take in the word of God to help us disciple our families. Sixth reason why we need to take in the Bible regularly related to this but on a broader level is to equip us to disciple and teach others. Do you realize that every single person, every member of this church, every born-again believer is called, listen to me, is called to the teaching ministry in some way of the Word of God. Maybe not publicly, maybe not in some official capacity in the ministry of the church, but every believer, every member of this local church is called to the teaching ministry of the Word of God. Let me prove it to you from the Word. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, Verses 16 and 17, and this is written to the whole church. To the whole church. The newest Christian and the oldest Christian. He says, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Did you catch verse 16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, give yourself to taking in God's word 
so that you in some way can teach and admonish one another. That happens practically, should happen practically in the life and conversation of every Christian informally. As they meet together, as they have conversations in the hallway, as they call one another, as they meet for coffee, as they go through their lives, we are all kind of part of a collective echo chamber teaching and encouraging one another, speaking the truth in love, spurring one another on the love and good deeds. Do you realize, dear one, how rich and important and vital your everyday speech with other Christians is in the life of the local church? You're going to get up in a moment. We're going to leave this room and you are going to be a, you're going to be commissioned to a kind of teaching ministry in the life of the local church. And how do you do that? You do that by dwelling richly on God's word. Reason number seven, to build our confidence and boldness in evangelism. <laughs> Some of you don't think that you're qualified to share God's word in an evangelistic way. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. I came to faith because my older brother, who is just an ordinary, regular Christian, not a minister, just, just a dude, over the course of several years, shared the gospel with me. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So a Christian should sort of smell like God's word. They, they just talk about it casually around the, the water cooler. They speak of God in their workplace and God uses that to plant seeds. They have one-on-one -on -one conversations where they pray for coworkers, where they show spiritual interest, where they invite them to church. And it's part of this mosaic of God's plan to draw all of his people to himself and regular, ordinary, church-going Christians are part of that. Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are, being, who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You know what this verse tells me? That successful evangelism is not the winning of a soul. Successful evangelism is the biblical holding up of Christ in all of life. And what God will do with that is God's business. Some people, when I am evangelizing them, will, will, will hate it. It's the fragrance of death. To the others, it's the fragrance of life. But that's God's business. He's sovereign over souls, not me. My job, our job, is to be the aroma of Christ wherever we go, every single Christian. And eighth, finally, reasons to take in God's word regularly is to remind us of the good news of the gospel because don't we all suffer from that dreaded disease? You know what it is? Gospel 
amnesia. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So as I read the Bible, as I take it in, I remember afresh my great need. Tyler read Ephesians 2 and prayed along these lines. Oh Lord, as I read your word, remind me afresh of my utter dependence on your grace and my utter need for Christ and his righteousness. And when I come up from reading that word and when I come up freshly reminded of God's grace in my life I am now equipped to fight sin and be gracious to a world around me that needs the words of life we need to be reminded of the gospel I conclude with this I've said we need to take in God's word now I could get really nitty and gritty and specific and say, this is exactly how you need to do it. I, I don't know what it looks like for your life. I think that might be unprofitable for me to do that. I'm praying right now for the Holy Spirit to give you, all of us, me, discipline and wisdom to consider, to work, our, work out our salvation, to think about what that would look like in our life. I, this year, will be using again this Bible reading plan. It's called the five-day Bible reading plan. It's just five days a week, Monday through Friday, generally for me, broken down into 52 weeks, reading through the whole Bible, an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, a psalm or a proverb in there. It's really helpful. I love it. I like it because it's five days a week, and it allows me to catch up if I miss a few days. It also is kind of chronological in the Old Testament, so it helps me kind of follow the storyline of the Bible. I'll be using this. We will have this posted on our website and our Facebook page. I printed off a bunch of these. They're on the information desk you can grab. Here's the good news about this. Because it's a weekly plan, even though it's January 3rd, you're not behind. It starts tomorrow. Praise God. <laughs> right? But here, I don't want to yoke a kind of burden on you that might be too high of a mountain for you to climb. Maybe reading through the whole Bible might be too much for you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe it's you reading through the Gospels one month at a time or you reading through the Old Testament, or you maybe just starting with a proverb, whatever, right now you have an opportunity to come up with, to work out, to not leave this room, to not let this be water that just runs off your back, for you to wrestle with God, and for you to grab a hold of Him, and for you to say, God, help me, discipline me. I need to take in your word. What do you have for me in this upcoming year? Another resource I heartily commend is the Dwell Bible Reading app. You can download it on your phone, and it's just an audio app. You can actually pick out a bunch of plans. Even this plan that I use, 5x5, five five, a five-day Bible reading plan is on it where you can just have it read to you. I play it in the car on the way into work every morning. I fall asleep to it. It's got different voices. I love it. You can pick an African guy, a Latin guy, a British woman, and a, just a regular American dude. Sounds like he's from Iowa. You, just, you can have music in the background. It's just it's an embarrassment of riches that we have. And I encourage you to get the Dwell Bible reading app if you want to listen to the Word of God read out loud to you.
Friends, here's the challenge. My challenge is for us to take in God's word. We all want to live God-glorifying lives. I'm, I'm assuming that if you're a Christian. We all want children who walk with the Lord and are not victims of the sewage of this world. We all want a great church. We all got opinions on what we should be doing better as a church. I do. I know some of you do. You let me know about it regularly. But here's the question. All those things have their place. I'm not saying that reading the Bible is the only aspect of a healthy Christian or a healthy church. But I am saying it's, it's a foundational factor. Right? We're, oh, what about this? What about this? Oh, what about, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Well, I did this, 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 and this. And, and if he would, if she would, if they would, if we would, blah, 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 blah. Every, everybody. And, and you know what? None of it means anything if we are famished and we don't read the word of God ourselves. None of it means anything. We're, we're like little blind squirrels falling off of tree limbs trying to chase nuts. We're ridiculous. If we are Christians, they've got opinions about everything and all this stupid stuff, hype, online stuff, cool backdrops, great songs, good-looking buildings, sheets, this, all this stuff, all this stuff, all this stuff, and we don't read our Bibles? What does it even mean? Will we take in God's word? That's the question before me and before you. Finally, an encouragement. Dear friends, if you're a believer right now, I, th- I hope you're inspired. I hope you're encouraged, maybe exhorted, maybe even a little bit rebuked in a gracious Holy Spirit sort of way. But I know how the enemy works. I know that this might be in some way sort of inspiring, exhorting, convicting for you. And I know you're just, maybe this afternoon you're going to, tomorrow you're going to, okay, well, let me do this, okay? But then there's going to be just the flesh will set in and you, you just, ah. And then you just start considering something bad happens to you. you. You get sad, depressed, your emotions go down. And all of a sudden it's January 15th and you just, ah, yeah. I know that feeling. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Let me, let me encourage you with something that is stronger and truer than the subjective strength of your willpower. And it is this. That if you are a born-again believer in Jesus, the Spirit of the Holy God dwells in you. And He is at work in you to bring about his good pleasure. 1 John 4, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. God has said in Romans 8, 29, he has told you what your future is. He says he has foreknown you and predestined you so that you might be conformed into the image of his son whom he loves. Not maybe, not if, it will happen. He has said that. 
It's going to happen to you. Philippians 1, 6. He who began a good work in you, he, he, not you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So there's something stronger going on in you than your willpower, your determination, your discipline. There's something stronger than your past. There's something stronger than your depression. There's something stronger than your fluctuating mood. It is the sovereign spirit of God that dwells in you. So on January 15th, when you are already a week behind, the righteous man falls six times, but he gets up seven. Get up and read God's word. Get up and take and read God's word. We come now to the table where we celebrate the word made flesh, Jesus. Jesus says in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So this bread, this manna, the word of God, we don't worship this word. This is not the end. You can read the whole Bible. You can memorize the whole Bible. You can know the Bible front to back, and it can never go from your head to your heart. This, this word, this written word, is meant to lead us to the living word, which is Christ. To know that we are hopeless without God, that He is sovereign and good and gracious, that He's created everything, that He has purposes for everything, and everything exists in some way for His glory. And He even allowed the fall and everything that's happened in our lives and he calls us to turn away from trusting in ourselves and to put our hope in what Jesus, the word, the bread of heaven, has come to do, that he lived and obeyed God perfectly and laid down his life on the cross to bear the wrath and punishment of God that should have been ours and rose again in victory and now offers us to come to his table to eat to feast on his righteousness, his goodness, his glory, his bread, which is Christ. And when Christians come to the table like we do, that's what we do. It's not just some spiritual tradition. It's not just something we do as a Christian rite or symbol. We are coming and we are saying, apart from Christ, whose body was broken on the cross, whose blood was spilled from me, that this word tells me about, I am hopeless. And so when I come to this table, I'm saying, the only thing that will truly satisfy my soul is Christ, the bread of heaven. If you're a believer, you're welcome to this table. If you don't yet believe that, you, of course you shouldn't do this. Not because we're trying to exclude you in any way, but because we don't want you to receive a meal that is pointing to a reality that you don't yet believe. So you can just sit there in your seat, and if you want to talk more about what it means to be a believer, you are in this process, man, just come on, just keep hanging around us. Keep hanging around us. And God's so gracious, you keep hanging around us. The gospel's so powerful. You're going to trust in Jesus, I believe, and you're going to be taking this meal with us someday soon. But right now, this is for believers who are saying, 
My hope is in Christ alone. And he alone will satisfy my hungry soul. Lord, help us now as we come to the table. Help us feast on Christ. Help us feast on the gospel. As we take this bread and this cup, lift up our eyes. And as we leave this table, Lord, we sustain ourselves throughout the week and through the month before we come back to this table by the word of God. Lord, fill us with an insatiable hunger for your word and satisfy us with Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name.